What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And fasting leads to an increase in ketones, like I just mentioned, and actually an increase in ketones has been shown to increase the amount of BDNF that we have in the body. So BDNF has lots of different important functions. Um, one can be kind of enhancing the brain's connection, something we call synapses, which are very important. It can also um, increase those synapses or those connections like resiliency. Um, it can stimulate a mitochondria in the body, which is essentially like our energy sources, the powerhouse of the cell, bringing us back to biology. Um, it can prevent cell death, improve cognition, and increase the brain's ability to resist aging. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 266. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lover. Welcome to another episode in the fasting series. Now, this series is intended to provide education about the potential health and longevity benefits of different forms of fasting, including time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting, and extended water only fasting. Please be aware that in this series, we will be discussing different forms of fasting and food restriction. And in some cases, there will be references to body size and weight. This material and these methods are not appropriate for children, pregnant people, or people with certain medical conditions. Please do not attempt these practices without medical supervision, as it could be very dangerous. These concepts may also be triggering for people with disordered eating or eating disorders, so please practice discretion before listening to these episodes. Thank you, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Dr. Giallo is president and CEO of B Medicine LLC, a mental health and lifestyle medicine clinic located in Maryland that utilizes evidence-based practices to prevent, treat, and reverse chronic health problems. Dr. Giallo is board certified in both psychiatry and lifestyle medicine. Before starting her practice, Dr. Giallo specialized in treating a variety of mental illnesses, including mood, psychotic, and cognitive disorders. As she has developed in her career, Dr. Giallo has a special focus on the gut-brain access and the microbiome. She lectures at academic institutions and gives talks at corporate wellness events at companies like Sirius XM and has spoken on a variety of podcasts. Dr. Giallo is also a trained yoga instructor and ran yoga programs for patients at previous hospitals she has worked. Key takeaway from this episode, although research on the effects of fasting on mental health is limited, there is evidence that fasting has many positive effects on mental health. Fasting may improve mood scores. 
Time-restricted eating may reduce cognitive impairment. Both fasting and exercise increase the production of BDNF in the brain. What we eat is incredibly important for our mental health and cognitive function. The longer you practice fasting, the easier it becomes. Please enjoy this episode in the fasting series right here on Veggie Doctor Radio. Dr. Kristen Giallo, welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're going to have fun today. We are going to talk about fasting and how it relates to mood and mental health and had you on before we talked about mental health lifestyle medicine all that kind of stuff so now i want to get a little bit more down to the specifics on using this as a tool that some people could apply to their lives so intermittent fasting extended water only fasting time restricted eating they've all been touted as potential ways to improve metabolic health and longevity but we don't hear too much about its effect on mental health. So is there evidence that this way of eating impacts mood and mental health? Yes, no, this is this is a very interesting topic. I mean, overall, the evidence on this topic is limited and more study needs to be done. But that being said, um, there have been some really interesting findings thus far that warrant further investigation and research. Most of the literature thus far when it relates to mental health is more kind of brain health overall and thinking about cognition, memory, cognitive impairment, and less on mood. Um, you know, there were two larger scale studies, probably the largest that I've seen, um, one, and they're both in Italian adults, interestingly enough. Well, one is about 1600 people, and they found that restricting the daily time feeding window was associated with lower signs of mental health distress. And this was in individuals over 70 years old. Um, and then another large scale was about uh, 900 people, again, Italian adults, and after adjusting for some potential confounding factors, they found that people who had uh, were more adherent to time-restrictive feeding were less likely to have cognitive impairment compared to those that had no eating time restrictions. So essentially, there may be potential cognitive benefits um, from a restrictive time-feeding window. Yeah, and you hear that a lot from people that practice time-restricted eating. They narrow their eating window. A lot of people talk about mental clarity and being more sharp, which especially as you're getting older, so I'm in my mid forties now, it becomes more and more important, right? It's like one of those things that you pay attention to and you notice like brain fog. I hate it. I hate that feeling. So definitely for me, practicing the time restricted eating has absolutely brought those benefits of the mental clarity, lifting the fog, feeling a little bit more clear to mind. And you know, that mood is so interesting because you think about food, right? And I know we've kind of had a little bit of this discussion before on our relationship to food and our culture and we eat for everything and i know that i'm an emotional eater so i think about my mood and i think about how since i was a little girl i had this habit of i feel bad i'm going to eat and my body has kind of associated this is what i do but honestly as i practice this way of eating it's the opposite like restraining a little bit and saying like, okay, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat because I know this is actually not going to benefit me and my mood actually staying more stable rather than those sharps ups and downs. So it's like totally counterintuitive to the way that we want to react to eating. We want to eat for comfort, but really 
maybe there is some potential there that when we restrict our eating, it actually helps us feel better. So it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a specific condition, which is super common in the world in the United States, and that's major depression. And this is, can be incredibly serious. It affects so many people. Is there any research specifically on the impact of fasting on major depression? Yeah, so I think this is a great question. And there were a couple small-scale studies that we can reference um, to maybe point us in a, in a certain direction about the impact. Um, so one study had about 52 people, and they fasted for two weeks. And these individuals also struggled with chronic pain. And they found that 80% of fasters had a decrease in depression and anxiety and had an average weight loss of 6.6 kilograms, which um, is equivalent to about 15 pounds. Um, there, there was another paper published in 2018, again, small scale, about 36 healthy volunteers. They separated the group into a fasting group and then the control group were warned fasting. And they assessed them about eight weeks later and then six months later. And they found that at the six month time point, intermittent fasting group had improved mood on certain anxiety and depression scales. And then the last one we can re reference is one in 2013, again, small, 31 healthy uh, males, and they split them into a fasting group and a control group, and they assessed them over a three-month period. And they found that fasting in combination with calorie restriction in aged men led to decreased emotional reactivity symptoms, so things like less tension, less anger, but they didn't necessarily notice an impact on depressive symptoms. Now, that being said, something we know in psychiatry and even as a primary care provider that depression doesn't always manifest in sadness, that kind of anger and tension can be commonly seen in men and also women. They didn't comment on this, but that there could be some connection there as well. Super interesting. Yeah, I know I've definitely been impacted by depression several times in my life. And one of my major symptoms is irritability. So mm -hmm. <laughs> when I start yeah, getting mean, common. it's usually because I'm really, really sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that first study over two weeks, were they doing, I'm assuming they were doing a water only fast, continuous water only fast. Is that true? Or were they doing intermittent fasting during that time? So it wouldn't have been a continuous uh, water fast. You know, it's a, it's a good question. And I don't have the paper with me in this moment, but there, um, most of the, the fasting that we're in the review articles had to do three different types. One was the alternate day fasting, um, which is like a five during a week period can be kind of a five day food eating and then a two day off. Then there's the alternate where you go one day eating and then one day off and then the time restrictive eating. So it's one of those combos. Okay. Okay. And thanks for clarifying that. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about anxiety? Another one of the conditions that you know, lies on the spectrum with major depression, but also affects a lot of people. Any studies specifically looking at that? Unfortunately, not many, really. It's just the ones that I've listed. I would love to have a, a paper that said this because anxiety is more my jam. That's what I struggle with. So, so I'd love to know if there is a good study and impact, but unfortunately, right now, there's not much. Okay. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. funny. Everybody has their own flavor, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think, too, because when it comes to this and we've talked about this before, that we've always separated the mind. We've always separated our mental health from everything else. So I think it takes longer for research to show an effect of 
lifestyle and diet and ways of eating with mental health because nobody's really thinking about the connection, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what about some conditions that can be very severe, include psychosis and mania, things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, any studies on that? So there hasn't been any studies, to my knowledge, on the impact of fasting on schizophrenia. Um, there has been a couple of studies done on the impact of fasting on bipolar disorder, and specifically during Ramadan. You know, interestingly, there's been a number of observational studies during Ramadan because this is a time period where there's a lot of people fasting for a a certain amount of time. So it can kind of be a good research group. And so these individuals are fasting from sundown to, to I mean, are eating from sundown to sunup. And um, there was a paper published in 2010 that they had um, individuals who were celebrating Ramadan had lowered subjective feelings of depression and mania. And this was in 62 patients that suffered from bipolar depression. Now, it's also important to keep in mind that one of the other papers published in 2014 looking at this had actually suggested a potential relapse in bipolar disorder during the intermittent fasting of Ramadan. So there's conflicting evidence in some of these small papers so far. But it's also important to note that there's a lot of other confounding factors when we're looking at specifically a group of individuals during Ramadan that could be affecting um, mood in either direction. And these are things like the aspects of religion, community, prayer, mindfulness, other things that can be very strong impactors of mental health. Um, so the fasting is just one component. Yeah. And the other difference with Ramadan that could be confounding in the opposite direction is that when people are eating during Ramadan, they're eating late at night. Mm -hmm. And so traditionally, you know, they're waiting and then having this big meal probably right before they go to bed. And metabolically, that can be hard for some people, you know, and as we learn more about time-restricted eating and trying to maximize and optimize the benefits, it looks like having your feeding window earlier in the day rather than late at night, especially right before you go to bed, has more benefits. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of things that are difficult to control when you're looking at that kind of fasting. Let's talk about mechanisms. You know, there's not a ton of data out there, little bit, some that show that there might be some benefits. What are the mechanisms by which might be causing the beneficial effects on mental health when it comes to fasting? Yeah, so when we think about the mechanisms, first we'll start by talking about the metabolic switch. So after fasting about 12 to 36 hours, your body switches from using sugar as the primary source of energy or glucose to using fat and ketones uh, for energy. Now, there can be benefits to using ketones in the body, um, which I'll mention shortly. Um, we'll just go over a few. But I don't want this to be misconstrued as an endorsement for the ketogenic diet. Um, you know, the body's preferred energy source is glucose, um, and the body is adept to being without food for certain periods of time and will then use its other system of burning kind of fat for energy. Um, 
the natural way of entering ketosis is actually through fasting. Um, the ketogenic diet tries to get the potential benefits of ketones by undermining the body's natural process and just consuming kind of high fat foods and avoiding glucose or other sugars. But this comes at a cost, right? And I'm sure you've covered this many times on this podcast, that kind of increasing saturated fat content, increasing cardiovascular risk, increasing lipid profiles, decreasing fiber intake, and other things. You know, when you are using ketones in your body, it should be in the absence of calories, not necessarily in the abundance of calories. So lastly, like the body is not meant to be in ketosis for extended periods of times, like weeks, months, years. And that's what people might be partaking in when they are um, kind of subscribing to a keto diet. Keto uh, Ketosis is meant to be intermittent. And that's essentially what fasting does, you know, has these brief periods of time where you get to engage in that. So there's a number of changes in metabolism that occur, and we're just going to focus on three. The first one is through something called BDNF. So that's called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's the most abundant, one of the most abundant growth factors in the body. And fasting leads to an increase in ketones, like I just mentioned, and actually an increase in ketones has been shown to increase the amount of BDNF that we have in the body. So BDNF has lots of different important functions. Um, one can be kind of enhancing the brain's connection, something we call synapses, which are very important. It can also um, increase those synapses, so those connections like resiliency. Um, it can stimulate a mitochondria in the body, which is essentially like our energy sources, the powerhouse of the cell, bringing us back to biology. Um, it can prevent cell death, improve cognition, and increase the brain's ability to resist aging. You know, interestingly, I give another talk on the impact of exercise on mental health. And there's a lot of good literature out there about the improvements of aerobic activity on depression, anxiety, dementia, all kinds of things. And one of the strongest mechanisms that they think about is also this increase in BDNF that occurs with aerobic activity. So um, we can increase BDNF with exercise, we can also potentially increase BDNF with fasting. Um, so that's one mechanism. A second mechanism is through something called mTOR. So that stands for mammalian target of rapamycin, right? But we're just going to call it mTOR. <laughs> that's all I need to know. So mTOR is an enzyme that essentially is involved in um, growth and synthesis synthesis, so like our growth mode in the body. So when mTOR is on or activated, that's where we're in growth mode. When we turn mTOR off in the body, that's something called autophagy, which is basically like the cleanup mode. So um, lower levels, uh, so basically lower levels of glucose during fasting uh, will decrease uh, mTOR. So when you're fasting, you're going to have a decrease in mTOR and you're going to stimulate that cleanup mode. So it's been suggested that because fasting decreases mTOR and increases cleanup, that that could be good in neurodegenerative disease. Because in neurodegenerative illness, there can be an accumulation of damaged proteins in the brain or in these cells that need to be cleared out. Um, when this was actually tested in mice models, um, the cleanup mode that was stimulated wasn't enough to eliminate all the excess amyloid or proteins that would be associated with cognitive decline. Um, but still mTOR um, activated pathway has been indicated in some of these illnesses. You know, but as 
we know, I just would point a little bit of attention to, I know that there was like some skepticism last year, like in around July, 2022, that was brought up about like the whole beta amyloid hypothesis because of some fabricated or faulty data that came out from like a study in mid 2000s. But that being said, you know, it's it's opened up the doors to explore other potential pathways for neurocognitive decline. But there is still a lot of good data out there that does point to accumulation of these type of proteins that could be one factor contributing to dementia. So we wouldn't necessarily throw this information out saying that it, it might not be something to continue to explore. So mTOR um, has been indicated in things like epilepsy, autism, MS, Parkinson's, but continued data is, is needed. And then the last um, part I'll focus on in a, in a potential mechanism has to do with the gut microbiome because you always have to throw that in and talk nowadays, right? Like the gut microbiome is so, you know, important to think about. So we know that a higher diversity of microbes in the gut is associated with kind of a healthier metabolic markers, um, things like increased insulin sensitivity. Um, and they found that time-restrictive feeding um, might be able to contribute to an increased diversity in microbes. There was a study of 80 healthy men um, who participated in time-restrictive eating, and they found an enriched composition of gut microbes. So these are just a few mechanisms for how fasting might be providing benefits in the body and ultimately impacting brain health. And now for a very important message. Hey, Mama. If you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Wow, that's a beautiful summary, Dr. Giallo. Thank you so much. And I want to point out that almost every single expert that I've talked to about fasting always brings up the importance of exercise. And some have even gone to say that whenever you compare fasting with exercise, exercise can be just as important. But adding exercise to fasting tends to augment the effect. So exercise, physical activity, movement, it's so important. 
let's stop thinking about it as a way to lose weight. Let's think about it as a way to support our health and well-being and do all of these wonderful, magical things. I mean, it's just so powerful. And of course, you know, the next question I have is the other very powerful thing that we talk about and we love and maybe a little bit biased about, but that's what we eat. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. So all of these studies, they focus on when we eat or you know what time period, restricting the time period or not eating at all. But is what we eat when we're not fasting important when it comes to our mental health and our mood? Yeah, so this is a very interesting question um, and could definitely be playing a role. You know, there's there's a couple of diets that have been found to have positive impact on brain health, regardless of fasting. So those are three, three different ones. So one is the Mediterranean diet. So just as a review, um, that's kind of a diet high in vegetables, fruits, legumes, nuts, beans, cereals, grains, fish, and olive oil. Um, then there's the DASH diet. So that stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And that's the diet designed to decrease cardiovascular risk. So consisting of foods that are low in sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, they all will uh, result in a decreased blood pressure and therefore decrease your risk of stroke, dementia, and uh, neurocognitive demise. And then a combination of those two is called the MIND diet, M-I-N-D. Um, and basically, it's combining the Mediterranean and the DASH diet. So diets like the Mediterranean diet, MIND, and the DASH diets have been shown to prevent cognitive impairment and lower the risk of neurologic disease and things like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and ischemic stroke. Um, and unfortunately, to date, there are no studies comparing the effect of intermittent fasting with these specific diets, because we would imagine that the types of foods that we're eating during, um, even if we're partaking um, in fasting, would affect outcomes. So what we would need to do would kind of have two different groups, one on the MIND diet and one on the MIND diet plus fasting, and seeing if that fasting um, afforded you extra benefit. And just so far, we haven't had that, but um, maybe after listening to this podcast, someone might want to do it, um, but that would be great. Uh, so that's where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I would say that, you know, when I talk to clients, coaching clients and things like that, people want to try fasting and they're so excited about it because it's like a big deal. And, you know, I'm like literally now like so passionate about it because it's revolutionized my life. But I will say that if somebody is eating the standard American diet, highly processed foods, it may be better to go with, hey, what can we do to help bring more whole foods, vegetables, beans into your diet first before we work on restricting the time period to eating? Because I feel like when it comes to optimizing and getting our well being, for some people, that's going to pay off so much in the long run they may not even really need to tweak anything too much as far as when they're eating because it can bring them so much, um, so much benefit. So I think that that's really important because I definitely, you know, I've been kind of dabbling in these communities, seeing what people are doing. And there is this mindset that 
as long as you're fasting and restricting your eating window, it doesn't matter what you eat in the eating window because there have been studies that look at that, but you're comparing somebody eating the standard American diet seven times a day and only fasting for like eight hours to somebody eating standard American diet, you know, a couple two, you know, two or three times a day and restricting it. So yeah, it's better, but it could be even better or you mm. wouldn't even necessarily have to restrict yourself on when you eat. So I think that's important to know. So let's talk about pitfalls. Could fasting potentially worsen mental health and who would not be a good candidate for fasting? So let's start first with talking about who might not be a good candidate for fasting. Um, so there's a couple of contraindications. So first and foremost would be individuals with eating disorders. If they're already struggling with extreme restrictive behaviors, we wouldn't endorse uh, fasting at that time. Um, the second would be individuals struggling with a BMI under 20 or maybe over 40. They might have other nutritional considerations that we need to think about when it comes to kind of food intake. Um, those struggling with kidney or liver disease, individuals with gastric ulcers, and then individuals that might have um, other severe comorbidities, so things like cancer, might be on immunosuppressive medications, um, people struggling with alcoholism, because again, that's another category um, where patients are struggling with um, nutritional deficiencies, and individuals who um, might be pregnant or lactating, um, unexplained weight loss. And then lastly, like medication, people who are on medications like diuretics, because um, they we wouldn't want them to struggle with a low sodium level or hyponatremia by going through fasting periods. Um, but if you are concerned or kind of have a number of medical comorbidities and kind of curious about whether fasting is, is right for you or not, you can always check in with your healthcare providers and primary care providers to kind of get a double check to make sure that it might be a safe next step for you if you want to kind of experiment. Um, and then thinking about kind of the first part of the question about who could potentially or like could fasting potentially worsen mental health? We don't have enough data to say one way or the other. We do have a couple of those Ramadan studies where there showed some improvement and some then uh, uh, demise. And so we still need more literature to know if there's a significant impact in either direction. Yeah. And I would say anecdotally and just from observation is if you're treating it as a diet, it becomes diet behavior then for sure, <laughs> you know, and you know, that's mm -hmm. why people with eating disorders should not be engaging in it because it can trigger all sorts of things and lead them down that rabbit hole again of disordered eating. And then I'll also add children. I would not fast children in general. So that's definitely a group that they're growing and they need all their calories. And we see that when you start restricting the eating window, naturally your caloric intake comes down. So we don't want to do that for children. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part, because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have 
have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out. You can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass. You can get culinary cilantro or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part and it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows and then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you want to give it a try, you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you wanna join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Oh, this has been so great. You're so organized. I love it. Thank you so much. So I'd love to know, do you have any experience using fasting in your practice? Is it something that you've applied to your patients and clients for mental health reasons? Yes, this has been something I've applied. Um, and there's a few things that come to mind with this question, um, kind of have two separate categories when I think about it. So the first is the kind of the opportunity to bust myths, you know, like being a myth buster. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions um, is that patients think they need to eat breakfast um, and that or they need to eat three meals a day or they'll ask, oh, if I just have a couple small meals throughout the day or if I'm snacking, is that the right thing to do? Um, you know, and the answer is really kind of none of these things is, quote, unquote, the best for your health. You know, breakfast is not necessarily the most important meal of the day and you don't need to eat it to be healthy. Um, you know, many patients will kind of be like, wow, I, I didn't realize that. And a lot of people are not typically hungry, like the first time they wake up, like right in the morning, but they'll respond with, um, well, I thought I needed to eat, like right when I woke up, or I thought I needed to eat breakfast in order to be healthy. It's the most important meal when that's kind of a misconception. And I, I think that this helps me to tie into the conversation about mindful eating and starting to get back in touch with our body's signals. So if you're not hungry, um, 
don't eat. You know, you, your body doesn't need you need, doesn't need any food at that time. And we've become so devoid. It's the void. We become so detached. That's what I'm looking for from our body signals. Um, and we eat for all other kinds of reasons, things like um, just the time of day. It's a social event. Like you were pointing out earlier, I'm feeling stressed. You know, where's my cookie? That's what I would go to. Right. So so I think, um, you know, that's that's really a, a nice segue into thinking about this. Um, the, the other area where I'll kind of talk about fasting actually might be a suggestion for people who are struggling to lose weight or struggling with kind of regimented diets with lots of rules or programs, um, because uh, this can kind of be a simple way that you end up cutting out calories without having to put in a lot of thought or effort. So in human studies, people eat about 25 to 33% less during like alternate day fasting or periodic fasting. And then in observational studies, they found that in non-supervised environments, subjects that participate in, in time-restrictive feeding have lower caloric intake compared to baseline. So they're eating about 200 to 350 less calories a day. You know, it's also helpful to note that caloric restriction has similar signaling effects in the body to intermittent fasting, such as kind of the upregulation of, um, I mean, the downregulation of that mTOR pathway that I was talking about before. So kind of stimulating that cleanup mood, I mean, mode, um, also thinking about gut microbiome changes. And then lastly, I would say that might be coincidentally just cutting out snacking um, as a result of decreasing your eating window. So snacks and like kind of low nutrient food or like high quote unquote empty calorie food is most frequently consumed like in the evening. Um, and so when we shorten that time, that, that time eating window, you might just coincidentally be cutting out a snack that you would that you might have otherwise eaten. And there was a very small study um, with 13 healthy participants that showed um, that the time-restricted group consumed significantly less snacks compared to the control group. So this might be something else that I might introduce as a potential option if, in, if people are struggling uh, with uh, thinking about food or weight or restricting calories. Yeah, it's so interesting because when I wrote my book, The Intuitive Eating, you know, Parents' Guide to Intuitive Eating, I was looking at some studies that showed how often we eat and how it's changed over like the past 60 to 70 years. Like we used to just have three meals and now we eat on average seven times per day and our eating window has just expanded. So we're eating earlier and we're not stopping till later. And I think we've just gotten so used to just eating or consuming whether, and a lot of people don't even think about the liquid calories, right? So the lattes and the frappuccinos and those, because you, your mind doesn't even process it as food, even though it is inputting calories, which is affecting that metabolic system. So you're right. Whenever you're starting to be more mindful about, okay, I'm going to eat in this window of time, it does automatically cut out some of this mindless, just, I'm just going to eat to eat. But I will say the other benefit is when you know that you're eating in a limited time, you are much more, say, focused on making sure that what you eat is good. <laughs> so I'm not going to waste it on something that does not taste good and doesn't feel good in my body because I know I'm not eating until, you know, my next window of time. So it really does, in a way, I know that that's kind of opposite of intuitive eating. So I've had to shift my perspective a little for my own health and well-being. 
But in a way, it has made my eating even more enjoyable because I know that what I'm eating is really what I want and what feels good in my body. And I'm not just having like a bite here, a lick here, whatever that doesn't even taste good. I'm just wanting to eat it just to chew and to consume, you know, which is something that I think we've gotten really used to. All right, that's fantastic. And have you seen that there's been results from your clients and your patients as when they start implementing some of these changes? What have you heard from them? So I would say probably the most frequent um, thing I'll thing that will come up is if patients feeling that they don't eat breakfast, you know, that they'll kind of just wait to have lunch and that they do like that, um, that there is over time uh, kind of an advantage to not having to think about breakfast when you wake up and just kind of start getting a little bit more in tune with how they're feeling in their body. And so sometimes I don't necessarily monitor monitor weight like super closely because I always think of that as a byproduct of like kind of the healthy behaviors. So I don't have like a number off the top of my head in that way. But as far as the subjective feeling better, um, that has definitely been a positive. And that's what I emphasize too, because that is what we can follow. That can be our North Star. You know, I think that focusing on the scale, focusing on body size can lead us astray and cause other issues. So Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's talk about you. I'll put you on the spot because I didn't ask you this beforehand, but do you practice any time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting yourself? So yes, I I do. Um, I, I do. So I typically, the, the routine I partake in is I, I typically don't eat or drink in the morning. I usually don't eat until like noon or one o'clock. And then I usually stop eating somewhere between like six and 8 p.m., depending on when I started or like what dinner is, things like that. So I tend to eat just like kind of two meals a day and then maybe like a snack. Um, and there's occasional days that I will eat breakfast. So I think that that's also the important thing to to keep in mind is like flexibility with anything Um, because sometimes people enter this all or none mind state where I I have to do it every day and and that becomes very overwhelming and somewhat claustrophobic when you feel like you don't have flexibility with like what life will throw at you. For most days, I do time-restricted eating, you know, and I think the other thing I really like about it and the way that I know food is for me is that once I start eating, sometimes it's hard for me to like put a plug in it, (laughs) you know, so I know I, you know, so for me, like having the, the restricted time really helps me, you know, to keep it together. And because sometimes like food can be tempting and you can be in certain situations and like in your, in the moment self, your present self, you're feeling great. You're eating all these snacks or eating all these foods, maybe you're emotional eating, but in your future self, like three hours from now, your tomorrow self, you're not feeling great about you, you know, yesterday. Self. So it's kind of helpful to to keep that um, in mind and know what the checks and balances that work for you. And so this I found really is helpful for for me and the way I think about food and like kind of engaging in my daily routine. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like putting up gentle guardrails. I'm like you. I literally, nobody in my family, my oldest son maybe gets close, but I literally can eat the most volume out of anybody in my family. And I could out eat a lot of men. So I think that my genetics and combined with the fact that I started dieting when I was like nine years old, <laughs> that did not help. Um, also makes it so that once I start eating, it's difficult 
for me to stop, but then I just want to continue to eat. So if I don't, and it's, and I'm not necessarily, it's difficult for me to tune into my satiety then because I get these mixed signals from my past of like, no, you need to keep eating. So I think that putting up those gentle guardrails has helped like calm down my brain. So my brain's not like, should I eat? Should I not eat? Am I hungry? Am I not hungry? You know, it's even though I can tune into my body and I can feel that feeling of hunger and fullness, I, those gentle guardrails have really helped me. But the biggest help for me has just been tuning into my body on how I'm feeling because I started it again, mainly because I was having some inflammatory symptoms and it's changed my life. So I'm just so grateful. So I can see, I can feel when I'm starting to get those aches and pains and the fatigue and those kinds of things and know how my eating is affecting those things. So it's been great for me. Okay, so if someone is interested in learning more about this or finding a provider to guide them through using intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating for a mental health condition, where should they go? Well, they're always welcome to come to me. I, so I have my own practice called Beam Medicine. I'm, I'm a physician licensed in, licensed in Maryland and Virginia and also North Carolina. And I also offer health coaching um, in all states. Uh, so they're welcome to reach out uh, on my website, bemedicine.org, um, and send in um, one of the kind of the contact questionnaires, and I'll get back to them. Um, but I would be the best person that I know. Awesome. <laughs> so. I love it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's why I had you on this episode. Thank you, Dr. Giallo. Okay, fantastic. Do you want to just give, again, where people can find you, your website, and any social media that you're on before we finish off with the rapid fire questions? Sure. Yeah. So my website is uh, bemedicine.org. So B-E medicine spelled out.org. Um, I have a lot of information there in contact forms where you can put in kind of your name, phone number, or just a message. Um, I also have an Instagram account. It's be.medicine. You can follow me there. In all honesty, I'm not the best at keeping up with my social media. It's one of my goals. I always try. I really try. So you're, you know, but you can find me there, follow me there. And I also have a newsletter that I put out. So if anyone's just interested in kind of wellness tips or kind of mindfulness inspired messages on my website, you could put in your email address there and you'll just get um, them to your inbox. Perfect. Okay. This has been so good. I just love all the information you've shared. I think it's just going to be a great episode. So let's finish off with my rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Oh yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So what's your favorite thing about fasting? Um, it's just a lot less to think about in the morning. I just get up, get dressed and go. <laughs> I love it. What's your biggest fasting pet peeve, such as a myth or misconception or misuse of fasting? Uh, I would say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, that, that that misconception like continues to exist. Yeah. And it can hinder a lot of people from even doing what's natural for them. Okay. And then what's one thing you want people to understand about fasting? Um, it's that the subjective feeling of hunger um, during fasting periods decreases as someone fasts more regularly. So if you do want to get into fasting, you want to try it. It's hard in the beginning because your body is so used to something, but it's not that you can't do it or that, you know, it's going to be like this forever. The longer you do this type of routine, the more you don't even notice. Like you, those those subjective feelings really dwindle and it's just very easy and something you don't have to think about. Yes, that's so true. And it really realigns your circadian rhythm of your body. Uh, one of the things that I learned is it's, 
also one of those things that we don't understand about hunger is that you become hungry when you're used to eating. Your body just predicts it. Your body remembers it. So it's like, hey, remember yesterday you ate at 11? It's time to eat at 11 again. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's so, so fascinating. Our bodies are just incredible. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Dr. Giallo, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being a repeat guest on Veggie Doctor Radio and providing us with such amazing information. I know my listeners are going to love this episode. Thank you for everything that you do. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Yami. It was great to be here. Thanks again. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.